0: Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. The wealth management industry is in the midst of massive demographic change. Business models are evolving, old entrants are retiring or merging, and technology is leveling the playing field. As a result, clients are demanding more value and the industry is coping with a rapidly shifting landscape. As wealth management clamors for direction, new expertise to manage this change is emerging. With us today is Matthias Kuhlme, Chief Development Officer at Hightower Advisors and the developer of the Disruption in Wealth Management module for Columbia University's Wealth Management Program. He's here to help us sort it out. Welcome aboard, Matthias.
1: it's really nice to spend the time with you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we've had a lot of long-ranging discussions around the wealth management industry, and it's a pleasure to have you on because I think you're one of the real sort of high-level thinkers as to the direction that it's going. And what you're doing with Columbia is particularly interesting because you're part of the engine to help really educate the next Generation of leaders in the space. Maybe talk a little bit about where that came from, why Columbia, and what you're trying to do there.
1: Yeah, thank you, Frazier. And I'm humbled with your kind introduction. Really, in simple terms, Columbia called me when they were in the process of setting up the program. And I wondered, I said, why are you calling me? And they were very kind and said, look, you're known in the space. This goes back to my day job at Hightower Advisors. We have become one of the predominant firms in the independent space. And when Columbia suggested this is the first Ivy League program that will focus on wealth management on the premises of the CFP designation, I thought this is great because this is where the industry needs to go. I had a lot of passionate thoughts and ideas, and so we basically joined forces the course now is two years old, or the program, I must say. The first cohort is through and will graduate in May. So a nice success. And with that in mind, there I teach disruptive trends in wealth management. And there's so much to say there when it comes to furthering the value proposition, the risk that the business, in my view, Fraser doesn't see today. We as an industry are rather complacent. Change is not something we embrace, also not necessarily from a regulatory space. So I saw a great opportunity to sort of influence the journey, especially the journey of of a generation growing up in this business now.
0: So you're working on the disruptive trends in the industry, and I try to podcast about that and find different things that are out there that... People should be thinking about or worried about. Let's take a step back for a second. That's one course among many in the Columbia curriculum. What else do they talk about in the curriculum to get people ready?
1: It's all encompassing. I mean, we look at the foundations of wealth management, the channels, the players, planning, legal, tax, everything that you would normally also find in the CFP designation. It will give you the full spectrum of what is needed in the wealth management industry.
0: So let's get back to the disruption comment. We're in the midst of rapid technological change, reevaluation of business models, an MA craze that couldn't be hotter right now, and demographic changes, both within the industry and amongst the client base. All of which is a real sort of soup for people to digest as they try to manage their firms, manage their practices, et cetera. Take us through a little bit about how you sort of build the context around that and what you're describing in the course to kind of help people get their arms around a lot of different things that are going on out there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, Frachel. You gave me a lot to work with, so I'm, I'm trying to order and reorder the ideas You know, when I first constructed the syllabus for the program, some feedback I received, including from students at a later point, hey, what you're talking about is not disruption. And there's sort of the first crux that often we take disruption identical to innovation in a technological sense. So everything has to be digitization, fintech, wealth tech, and there we are creating disruption And so I went actually to the basics and said, hey, what are we even talking about when we talk about disruption? And, you know, from my perspective, disruption has always been the process, you know, typically by sort of the, let's call it the underdogs, right? Smaller resource constrained firms that are challenged in an industry and they will actually go out and lead a challenge often catering to clients that are no longer being served adequately by bigger firms or they're overlooked altogether. I mentioned before in my day job, I'm with Hightower. Hightower was one of these firms that disrupted the wealth management space just because we basically went out with a new message, we repositioned. We were back then not necessarily a thin or wealth tech company, it just happened to be that Fin and WealthTech were sort of the second evolution revolution that took place with our initiative. So I think it has really to do with understanding there are certain segment, segments of clients that are no longer serviced adequately and that's where the disruptor comes in. Disruption, simply stated, Fraser, has a lot to do with interruption and everything else is innovation. That's where sort of fintech and wealth tech comes in. It is not necessarily disruption. So breaking this down back to the course, we cover several aspects. We cover the independent movement. I just mentioned it. We also go from the independent movement into, so, you know, I call it more the, the hot topics, digital assets, Bitcoin, and so on and so forth, but not from the angle of the technology more from the angle of how did we get there? What actually happened along the way that someone felt disruption, the interruption of something that we commonly know and accept is is a do?
0: Well, and a good analogy, too, is the music industry, where there was sort of a way of doing things and a methodology around how music was developed and distributed, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, all at once, things change and business models change and attitudes change toward that industry. Do you see that same analogy or, or is it a little, is it, am I reaching?
1: <laughs> no, no, Fasier. And, and I know when you and I first met, we had conversations around Napster and so on, what I don't share is I spend my early career actually in the music industry on the business side, but also as a practicing musician. And let me sort of take you back on, on this journey, which is, in my view, very similar to what we have seen in other industry, but are currently seeing in wealth management. So back then, I owned a pre-production studio in my house, and a pre-production studio allowed you to record music content that would be good enough to bring to a main studio and you know work there to be published. And that pre-production studio, let me just put a number out as an example, would cost hundred thousand dollars today. You can go in my family room and there's a little side table, and there's a MacBook there and a little keyboard and a microphone and all of this. I mean, if you include the Mac, will cost you three, four thousand dollars and it creates the same ability, the same output. It has the computing power as this studio 20 years had. So the reduction in the cost of data and the cost of computation allows now to have other players to move into a space. Back then it was true for music because you saw the threshold of entry being lowered. You know, non-music players, so to speak, Creative individuals that never had anything to do with the industry all of a sudden were able to create music, to run a production out of their living room. We have actually good examples in the industry of stars that became very famous and wealthy doing so. And that created a complete disruption of the business. All of a sudden you had small labels, you had boutique record companies and so on and so forth. We see a little bit of this today in wealth management. We actually see that we had the independent movement. These were the breakaway brokers. This is not my word, that was sort of the definition, leaving the wirehouses. You had small independent spaces and players that would form companies. And that's the reality today that we have actually distributed the choice that clients have across several channels that are becoming meaningful. I mean, we look at the growth of the independent space consistently double digit year over year growth, unlike any other channel we see today. And that's something we need to note. And I said it before then you have sort of that Finn and Wealth Tech revolution that was similar to what happened in music that creates this modular world where now the curation of choices for clients is far more important than owning these traditional vertically integrated big machines and firms that we see with the big wire
0: houses. One of the things that you talk about and we've talked about before is the focus on trust and the shift from typical trust situations. And I don't mean that in sort of a trust in the states, but people trusting other people and the lack of trust that has started to creep into the system. Maybe dive into that a little bit for us.
1: Yeah, it's a very complex topic and, you know, look, you can argue it's sort of my sole opinion. I don't think so, however. I take you back and this is a bit more of a capital market discussion rather than we are starting with trust as a discussion. Ever since, call it the dot-com era and and the dot-com bust, we have seen significant accommodation of the financial system. And it has sort of changed the rules of the game. It has changed the rules of, you know, free price formation. It actually has removed a lot of risk from the system. And this back then so-called green spend put became the Fed put. And today, whenever we had or have market volatility, there is the aspect of the Fed coming into the rescue. And now you can argue, well, that is great, but it also creates a bailout culture. It removes the aspect of free price formation, but it also leaves a system inherently more risky just because you you are sort of compressing volatility that in best cases should come out. And my view has been, if I'm a market participant and I don't really know who is the player, so to speak, on the other side. Can I trust that the system is still fair? Is the system still leading me to neutral good supply and demand function? And I had my concerns. And the one aspect I have been discussing in that respect is that the hype we see around digital assets, Bitcoin and so on, it's not so much only a money evolution. I think Bitcoin came out the white paper around 2008 and 9. That's you know coinciding with the big financial crisis. So coming back, it is not so much a money evolution, meaning adopting blockchain as a technology and you know building, if you will, currencies on top of that. It is also a money revolution. This is typically a younger group of clients, of emerging clients, of emerging wealth to say, hey, look, we are not playing in a system that we don't understand, that may be irrelevant to us, including the forms of advice. We are sort of diverting our wealth into other pockets. And I'm making a very general statement. It's not that easy. And volatility in the digital space will also, you know, tame that desire for the new But to me, this is a money evolution and money revolution that was anchored in absence or increasing absence of trust in the system that has been accommodated now for 20 plus years. And just these days, we see the consequences, right? And that should make us think.
0: Well and it's scary too when it may be an emotional response to the effect of failures in the system that people experienced. And and then if you don't temper that with real experience working with the traditional system, you know, people bet their whole situation on it. And when it becomes volatile, that can be that can be difficult.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of money was gained and lost. We have seen volatility in the in the Bitcoin, in the digital asset, in the altcoin space. And I'm not suggesting it is healthy, but you see there is an emerging group of participants that is willing to take the risk. And when we sort of closer examine the aspect of blockchain, the characteristics of open ledger, it is, if you will, an attempt to remove the quote unquote middlemen, right? We are now taking the players, the banks out, and we create a money evolution revolution. We participate differently, and maybe there's a positive also to the way we can engage today with money and make money inclusive again, because what we have to say, I want to touch back quickly on the accommodative element. There is a strong relationship between accommodative policies, I'm guessing now, You know, over the years, the big major central banks around the world have probably expanded their balance sheets up to 30 trillion dollars. These are big numbers. And that has caused a lot of asset price inflation. You can actually sometimes I've seen the graph where you take the S&P 500 and you overlay it over the Fed balance sheet. It's not perfect, but it's good enough. So there is the element of asset price inflation. We see it in commodities. We've seen it in housing. And we have seen this actually before the recent inflation scare. So what I'm suggesting is also that many of us cannot participate in that benefit of asset price inflation because equity ownership is not equally distributed in society. So there, there is a socioeconomic aspect and issue that is closely linked to accommodative policies. And that flips me back to the thought of, hey, I want something else. And here is an opportunity around blockchain and digital assets, I'm going to go in there. It will all become far more tame, if I can use that word. This is a market that will mature. We are very, very early on. So I'm not issuing a buy recommendation. I'm just saying this is something we need to pay attention to. We need to also understand the disruptive trends and the innovation that were at the core of this movement, but also understanding that our more traditional industry needs to think about how to embrace this effectively from a regulatory aspect, from a risk perspective, and so on and so forth. We are all in the early innings of this
0: development. So a lot of big concepts there and, and high impact ones. How does this impact the firm of the future? And what else are you looking at around, let's say, the demographics of the wealth management space that are going to have big impacts going forward?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think when we look at the more traditional advice channels today, it comes back to the value proposition. We are still struggling to come as an industry. You know, Some firms and some channels are doing better than others. We still struggle as an industry to differentiate between what I call the benefits of a fixed infrastructure. It's sort of the, the what in the formula you know this is sort of a to be expected operating framework but over the years and more often than not we're leading with capabilities and that's sort of where we need to depart and say hey i'm bringing you value and value means not only that i offer a financial plan it actually needs to push far higher in the value proposition that we connect heart and mind of our clients that is sort of the big aspect that all channels need to embrace we need to come to a higher value proposition just to say hey but we do financial planning too is not enough in fact when you look at the data the majority of plans today are simple these are my words cash flow based plans they're basically looking at the aspect of hey when i retire how long can i go with my money that's not enough you need to look at intergenerational planning you need to include far more complex topics. We are not there as an industry today. And the other aspect of value proposition is what I consider the values proposition. There is an emerging group of clients that by definition is and becomes younger through the ongoing wealth transfer. And this younger group of clients, we have already talked about digital assets. So the ones that are not bypassing us as an industry are the ones that will look at us as firms and say don't tell me only what you offer me as value but also tell me what you stand for and i can tell you if i can join you and now we're coming into this big aspect phase of values over value and i think that's a journey that is in its early beginnings also for many of the firms operating in in the industry
0: As you think about it, sort of a follow-up to that comment, and I, I see it too, I think that the mission statement of a firm, the ethos of the advisor that someone is dealing with is vital now, certainly in the growth prospects of that individual practice. This is maybe, this is a very flighty question, maybe very philosophical. How do you think about quantifying values? Because ultimately there's going to be a collision between the business operator the the p and l sheet, and the values and the statement. how do you think about that as you've sort of constructed the course yeah, it's a good question, and one, I will
1: struggle a little bit with the answer. Let me break it down. Value and values go back to the aspect of money and meaning, like what does it mean to me personally? and I understand we in the advice business overall in any business, we also need to you know run a scaled business, we need to run a business, right? So you cannot individualize. That said, I think the aspect, and I come back then to the money and meaning aspect, the aspect of availability of data, we use the music example, right? The cost of computation, the cost of data decreased significantly. Now it's available to, available to me, I can crunch it. That will actually determine a significant increase in what i consider to be the categories of one i can now personalize the experience for a client and i think there is a lot of value there that also to a degree to a degree can be measured of how clients will engage with a provider with a digital platform with an interface when it comes to how to measure value i try to explain it as best as i can I think there's an internal validation that we meet to understand what is the importance to you as a client or what's the value. And that value can be measured in money. We look at the SRI and ESG space. We, We can actually, we have the ability today to measure the impact. So I think there's that. But then there's an external validation also. What is being represented or expressed? How do I want to be seen as an individual? What I do with my money? So I think there are significant degrees of meaning that are very measurable from traditional investing on one side to philanthropy on on the other side. And everything in the middle of the spectrum is something that, that we need to focus on.
0: Well, it, it get a philosophical question. I thought you handled it really well. Thank you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's tough. Let's sort of think about winding down here on that firm of the future concept. There's a lot of ink spilled and pixels deployed around the changing business models that are out there. Whether it's percent AUM fee, flat fees, and financial advisors are veering in the world of sort of becoming psychologists in many ways and assisting on the behavioral finance front. The hourly fee may become part of the discussion as well. Do you have any conclusions on that? My personal opinion is that it is a big, broad world out there and there is room for a lot of different business models. How do you think about that?
1: Yes. Frazier, let me come back to sort of the pricing mechanism in a little bit. If I'm not mistaken today, still 75, 80% of services in our industry are priced based on the AUM model. And it is hard to move away, but there has been a tendency, an increase of retainer-based services, planning-based services that clients can pay for. I think what we need to recognize is a different aspect, and that also will actually shape of how we pay for advice that we receive. There was a great article, I I want to say it was in the Wall Street Journal last year, and it basically looked at, you know, a younger wealthy generation with money in the bank and how they have behaved in terms of how they receive advice and how they connect with an advisor. And, you know, if you don't know the data, we would always say, oh, they were all self-directed, they're like the robos, and there is a chance that the self-directed portion goes up. And when you look at the data between 2010 and 2020, that self-directed layer actually hardly changed. It was around 40%. But here comes the aspect that should really make us think as a more traditional industry. The strongly advice-centric element where we as advisors come in, where the human being comes in to provide advice, shrank to half. So what we are saying is everything in between is now hybrid advice or bionic advice. And I'll come back to pricing. I give you an example where I can now go and book a flight and use an app. And at one point, there's a pop-up menu to say, do you want to talk to an agent now? Right. That's sort of the advice model that I foresee in the future of wealth management. And that can be priced differently because at the front end, I have significant scale and there could be a subscription-based element and then it comes and turns into another form of pricing that can very well be AUM. So I do believe with the hybrid or bionic element of advice, you will also see hybrid elements of how we price. Let me go back to the strongly advice-centric element or the portion, the one that has been cut in half. What it also tells me is that this is where the premium offering sits. And we know that is true, not only for wealth management across the board, that there are services that easily can demand premium and individuals, clients, customers are happy to pay the premium. And now let me tie it all back to the value and values proposition. That's exactly where we need to go as an industry in order to charge premium for a smaller share of advice. We need to actually be very clear on how we define value and our values. So there, there is more to come here. I do believe most advisors are making a pretty bold statement. Now, if they had to start their business over today, Many of them could not replicate their successes, and that should make
0: us think. Excellent. A fascinating discussion. Tell us, how do we keep track of you, Matthias, and how do we get in touch with you vis-a-vis the course at Columbia?
1: You can find us on the website. There's a beautiful description of Columbia, among other fantastic lecturers and the faculty that we have assembled of practitioners, you may find my my bio, I'm saying they are far significant thinkers and doers there, so we are blessed. And then I have the pleasure to have been with Tower Advisors for more than 10 years, have seen this wonderful player in the independent space grow. Today, I act there as the chief development officer focused on the aspects of helping our advisors to navigate their own organic growth.
0: Excellent. I'll have the contact information in the show notes and look forward to surfing this wave with you and and following your progress as we see the change just continue to multiply and affect all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually.